It's the Jenny Hatch Show at Colin, and I am your host. Today I'm going to be talking about childbirth pain and giving you a few ideas of things you can do to help besides using drugs when you're in labor. One of the big questions when you are planning a home birth is, um, okay, I'm having this baby at home. Obviously, there's no anesthesiologist. Does that mean I'm just going to get rip-roaring drunk and then have the baby? And there have been some mothers who've done that or turn to smoking a joint, getting high, and then have the baby. Some mothers do that too. Uh, because of my faith, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We don't use um, those types of substances. And so I was sort of up a creek with my pain management. And so I became very interested early on in my mothering to learn alternatives to drugs to use while having my babies. And during the last, my oldest daughter's 32, almost 33, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about pain and what moms could do to help themselves while they're giving birth. And then I put many of these things into practice in my own labors. And so I've got just kind of a little list of things you can do that are not tied to drug culture or the things that the doctors do, or even over-the-counter pain meds to help when you're having a baby. So that's what the show's about today, and let's just dive in. Recently, I mean like this week, there was an email from Midwifery Today, and I get, I'm on their email list, and they had a Facebook chat with a bunch of midwives and um, talking about pain and labor. And so I'm going to share just a couple of quotes from this because it's, it's, you know, just a nice roundup of what the midwives think, many of whom are mothers. So the question was, how do you, how do you explain the pain of labor to your clients? There is kind of this old hippie notion that, you know, childbirth's no big deal and you just feel surges and, you know, the baby comes out and, you know, don't really have to do too much more than get transcendental in your uh, approach to it and, and rise above the pain. And, you know, I'm here to tell you, look, for some of us, there's pain. And so, you know, you don't need to pussyfoot around and just pretend it's not there. And so I, I appreciated the attitude of these midwives. The first one said, I describe the pain as pain, real pain, not as waves or extreme menstrual cramps, like the kind of pain you may have never felt before. I also describe it as productive pain. Breaking a limb or having a chronic medical condition is a type of suffering. I think it's important to differentiate between the two. Labor pain will end, and there's a tremendous gift at that end. I think it's a disservice to downplay the intensity of the pain in labor. And that was Carrie Jackson Peltz. And I totally agree with her. I don't think as a childbirth educator or a midwife or even a doctor, you do your, your couples any, any help by making them think there's not going to be pain there. And, um, you know, one of the things that moms over the years that I've talked to have said is that they went in anticipating that they were going to get drugged the minute they showed up at the hospital and they weren't going to ever feel any pain during birth. And these types of women who do very little to prepare beyond finding an obstetrician who agrees to that, sometimes they're surprised that the hospital staff won't let them get an epidural for a couple of hours and they have to deal with some labor pain during those hours. And so there's, you know, just this disconnect in some of the moms and thinking, you know, the epidural is going to save me or it's going to give me everything I need. And 
there's a surprise to realize that, you know, maybe the, uh, the anesthesiologist is busy with some other moms and you have to go through a couple hours of labor without that epidural, or maybe the epidural doesn't take, I've heard of that too, where um, they expected the drug to kick in and it never kicked in and they found themselves giving birth naturally without any meds because it just didn't work. So um, I just think, again, and, and this is my message to everyone, when talking about this topic of natural childbirth, home birth, emergency birth, I believe the wise mom and dad will step back from the whole big picture and say, okay, we want to learn some skills that are going to help us just in case whatever, you know, just in case this thing I'm visualizing doesn't happen. What's my backup plan? How can I mitigate the situation to make make certain that, that I'm providing the best entry into the world for my child and, and the easiest birth for my wife or my, you know, for myself as the mom. So, um, First thing, mom has to be hydrated to have labor go well. And mom has to be hydrated during her, her pregnancy. One of the biggest issues that moms get into with chronic heartburn, stomach problems, un- inability to digest their food, it's so often hydration. And because the, the pregnancy is a high water event, meaning... The baby is in the amniotic fluid, swimming around in the mom's uterus. Obviously, there's some water involved in this situation. And for moms who are chronically dehydrated, who use stimulants to fuel their pregnancy, and I mean stimulants in the form of coffee, soda, caffeine, you know, if that's her habit and that's what her body is doing, all of those things dehydrate the body. Coffee, sodas, they really are hard on the pregnant woman's body. And so just the first tip I'll share is that if you can get in the habit early in your pregnancy of learning how to properly hydrate your own, your own body, your labor will go better. Uh, a childbirth is an athletic event. And so if you can kind of change your thinking to, to being proactive about, I am an athlete preparing for this athletic event and think about what the athletes go through to stay hydrated. They've got their Gatorade on the side of the field and water bottles everywhere because they know during this athletic event, there is going to be tremendous effort. And as that effort goes, so, so, does, so does the experience of the game or the birth. And so hydration. One of the, one of the things you can do early in your pregnancy, like first trimester, when you're nauseous or struggling to keep food down is to start your day with just a couple of sips of pickle juice and a quart of water. And if you will do that, if you'll just get in the habit of doing that before you put any food in your system, it's like priming the pump. You're getting some potassium and some minerals in there from the pickle juice, a little bit of salt, and then that water and it goes in and it kind of prepares your body to digest the food that you put in afterwards. And then if you'll make a point, along with eating your high protein foods, which you have to have to build the baby, eating some high water content foods in the form of fresh fruits and vegetables, those have lots of water in them, especially especially fruit. And you wanna eat them raw, go ahead and eat them in their natural state. It's so much healthier than eating 
something that's been processed or uh, concentrated or, or, you know, managed in some way by a grocery store. You're, you're going to get more nutrition from a freshly cut apple than from a little tub of applesauce. I hope you know that and understand that. The live enzymes that are in live foods are so important for the baby. They really do help uh, in every dimension of baby development to eat foods in their closest to natural state as possible. And, you know, I've gone above and beyond that in terms of how I prepare my grains and things that I use to cook with by purchasing a wheat grinder and grinding my grains fresh every day. And once I made the decision to do that, um, the, the nutrition and health level of my family just started to go. And then I got into alternative grains like spelt and quinoa and kamut. And I started to bake and cook with all those grains. And that is when the health of my kids and my husband just expanded. And we left that world of wheat and we moved into this other place of just there's a whole world of grains out there that are designed to be the staff of life. And staff of life is the foundational principle for pregnancy. You want to be putting in those foods that just ground you and build that child. And that's found in our grains, beans, seeds, and other foods that come of the earth. Can you build a healthy baby on junk food? You can. Women do it all the time. They do. They'll be living on frozen pizza and popcorn and just candy and junk. And they will still come up with a beauty, beautiful, healthy child. I've seen it over and over. But where the rubber hits the road is, is that mom able to sustain that baby with breast milk eating that same diet? That is the thing that tends to to fall to pieces once the baby comes out. Is if the mom has not grabbed her diet and and taken it to that next level, quite often that baby is weaned by the time it's three months old because there's just not enough nutrition there to produce the breast milk. And so if you want to get into what I term true ecological mothering, where you not only grow the child in utero, but you sustain the life of that child for the, the nine months or a year afterward that you're breastfeeding, the diet is key. Eating the whole foods is key. And so if you're here to learn more about just doing the whole shebang, being responsible for your, your child's health and nutrition, whether it's under you know an emergency situation where you can't buy baby formula to give to your child, or you're just in a situation where you don't have the money to pay for that formula, you just need to breastfeed, whatever re- situation's compelling you to do this, I would encourage you to take personal responsibility for your diet. It honestly is the key to your physical health and your mental health. So hydration, number one, getting the the liquids in there that you need to, to have in order to digest the food. And that's key when you're in labor, because if you, you show up at the hospital or you're in your own home and you're already dehydrated, the, the body will shut down if it doesn't have enough liquid in there to allow you to do the work of expelling the baby. So that's number one, hydration. I'm going to read another one of these quotes from um, one of the midwives that was so good. She talked about, I'm trying to find it here on my phone. 
she talked about um, how when a woman is in labor, it's not like she has 12 hours of pain, you know, just never stops. Um, she talked about how there's, there's a break. The body gives you a break. Uh, can't find it. Okay. I always remind them that the rest periods between contractions are painless and that contractions last about one minute. It's astonishing how few people know this. It's often not taught in prenatal classes. No wonder millennials are terrified of birth. They think it's endless hours of unremitting agony. It isn't. And to stress the point, I tell them that during second stage, when the contractions space out to about every five minutes, they were about every three minutes in early labor, that if someone had an hour of pushing, they would be working for only about 12 minutes. None of that describes what is felt, but duration and timing are a super important part of the pain dialogue when it comes to birth. And I totally agree with this. Um, I experienced that in my own births. Yes, I had an intense contraction. It lasted a minute. It was more than a minute. I wasn't sure I could stand it. And then it faded and I had a break. And this is the ebb and flow of pregnancy. This is the ebb and flow of birth. And it's nothing to be afraid of. Oh, that all needs to be washed on warm, Paul. What? Washed on warm, not on hot. They, oh, yeah. Warm would be better. Thank you, sweetheart. My husband is my... I'm disabled, so my husband does the laundry, and he just was put in my colors. Such a sweetheart. Okay, distracted. I was talking about pain. Oh, yeah, preparing the mom, thinking about pain. Um, when educating yourself about labor, it's good to know the facts. There are some moms who, when they go into the hospital, they will get Pitocin, to, to speed up their labor or make it stronger. And I've had some moms tell me they did not have the ebb and flow of normal contractions. They had a contraction that never stopped. It just went and went and went constant peak because of too much Pitocin. You want to talk about pain? That's a pain that never stops. And it's sometimes those moms who get induced with Pitocin who are the ones screaming the loudest about pain in childbirth. And it's because of sometimes something like that happens. So like, I got to have an epidural. You know, I just got to have it. I can't stand this. And I think they should get the epidural. You know, it's just an induced labor is a totally different ball of wax beyond natural childbirth. And to compare the two to, as if they're the same thing. No, you can't do it. And, you know, if you want to have an interesting experience, if you know a labor and delivery nurse, just ask him kind of casually, hey, have you ever seen a natural birth? They'll say, oh yeah, we have natural births all the time. And and they'll talk about how, the, you know, after the mom was induced, um, she was able to get, get pushing and she gave birth without any help at all after they, you know, pulled the baby out with, with the forceps or the vacuum extractor. And then, you know, they, they sewed her up and, and everything was natural and, and normal. And what, what they'll mean is, oh, she didn't have a C-section. They have all the other stuff they do, and they call that natural, but no, that's not natural. There's all sorts of things augmenting that birth to compel the baby to come out sooner than it was perhaps ready to come out. 
when you really nail them down and say, have you ever seen a birth that was spontaneous, meaning the mom went into labor on her own, a birth that was not medicated, meaning she didn't get anything, prostaglandins, nothing put on her cervix to speed things up or slow things down, no drugs. And then she pushed the baby out again, no medications, nobody pulling on the baby's head, just push the baby out herself. And then, and then no medications after the birth to clamp the uterus down, expel the placenta. If you really press them on this, you'll find that there are very, very few medical personnel who have ever seen that. Do it. If you know a nurse, somebody in labor delivery, talk to them. Ask them, have you ever seen a truly spontaneous natural birth? What, what happened recently, and I mean like in the last 10, 15 years, is that there were so many babies being induced at 37 weeks that even the medical people said, you know, this is a problem because these babies are being born relatively premature. Their lungs are not fully developed, and it was causing a lot of problems in the babies who are being taken out of the womb too soon. The moms were happy to do it because, you know, they don't have to do that last difficult month of pregnancy, uh, induction, I can plan, I can schedule my mom to come visit and help, and, and the doctor's happy, he's got complete control over the birth, but they were seeing so many problems with babies postpartum that they were like, you know, we got to do something about this. So what happened was many hospitals uh, had regulations pop up that said, you know, you really shouldn't do this until the 39th week. And some even said, you know, we're not going to let you do this unless if there's a medical reason. And so um, what happened was the 39-week induction has become entrenched in many hospitals. If you haven't had the baby by 39 weeks, they just, they just do all their bells and whistles to get the baby born at 39 weeks. Talk to young moms. Talk to the pregnant people out there. Do you know anybody who's had a baby past 40 weeks? Now, in, in the ch childbirth me method that I taught, uh, we taught that anywhere from seven months to 12 months and anything in between was within the realm of normalcy. So where have you met a mom who had a, a 42 weeks pregnancy or 44 weeks or 45 weeks or whatever? You know, they're not out there. Um, because everybody's being induced. So again, if you're going to go to medical people to ask them what is normal and natural, um, they're going to assume you're asking about non-cesarean birth first. And then second, when you press them and say, have you seen it without any, any sort of medications? Very, very few of them will have ever even seen that, much less know anything about it. So in learning, trying to learn about natural spontaneous home birth or emergency childbirth, you have to look at the literature and the stories from people who are actually doing it to see what is normal in birth. And I know that's presumptuous, but it's the truth. So here, here's some more facts about giving birth on your own. Hydration, food, there's a big debate about what women in labor can do. It, it honestly was fueled by that 
movie that Paul Newman was in back in the day about the mom who ate a little bit of food and then she had to have a surgery and she asphyxiated and she's brain damaged. And remember the movie, you know, it's just, it was this big movie that came out and um, it's all about the, the lawsuit. It was a courtroom drama, all about the lawsuit that came from her family against the hospital. And so since that movie and since, you know, it's an issue that if a mom has eaten, she probably shouldn't have a C-section because of that very fact that it became normal, traditional for hospitals to say no food when you're in labor, because if you have to have a C-section, you don't want to have to food in your stomach and go under general anesthetic and vomit and, and then you're dead. So um, this notion of not eating while you're in labor uh, has definitely become a thing. And nobody would expect an athlete to do a 12-hour, a 24-hour athletic event on an empty stomach. Nobody. The, the ultra marathoners who are out there running day after day, they know they have to fuel themselves. They know they have to eat. And so why would we expect a woman who's in labor to do this thing on an empty stomach? It's insanity. So um, nature has a way of providing for that mom that especially if she gets into transition, which is the, the intense period between first stage labor when her uterus is working so hard to open the cervix and second stage labor when she's getting ready to push the baby out, that during transition, quite often the mom will vomit if she has something in her stomach just to make some space and clear her out as she prepares to push. And so the body has this natural, you know, okay, I need to clear myself out. Quite often she'll get diarrhea and just her, her bowels will just clean out to just, again, create some space for the baby to come through the birth canal. And so if you can trust that, if you can trust that your body will intuitively know what you need, um, I've talked to so many women over the years. Oh, I ate a, a big bowl of chili at the beginning of my labor. It was perfect. Or, you know, I had a huge sit down dinner right before I went into labor. Um, and then if the mom is allowed to listen to her own body, what do you need? Are you okay? Okay, we're into hour six. Do you need a bowl of oatmeal? Do you need a little bit of fruit? You know, some women do well with just a, a couple of tablespoons of honey. And if you can just kind of be thinking, how can I fuel her rather than coming at her with, oh, no, you can't eat, you can't eat. That messes with her because she doesn't want to do anything that's going to hurt herself or hurt the baby. But if you have bought into this notion that no food once labor starts, no way, no house, too dangerous, you just have to relax that a little bit and trust her that she'll know what she needs. One of the main things I've done during all five of, five of my labors is I have made up a mug of red raspberry leaf tea, ultra concentrated, you know, like use like 10 tea bags of raspberry leaf tea. And then I put three or four tablespoons of honey in that with a pinch of salt. And that is how I have fueled my, my labors is with that tea. And the Native Americans used to call the raspberry leaf uh, their squaw tea squaws being their wives you know this is, this is the drink 
that our women drink when they're in labor. It's also a fabulous thing to drink while you're pregnant because it's full of all the nutrients that a mom needs while she's, while she's pregnant. So this is, this was my labor drink. I know some women use Gatorade and other power drinks. I like the more natural stuff, but that raspberry tea, there was a point in my first labor when I was just kind of stalled, stuck at seven centimeters, doctors getting a little antsy. We were all tired. I've been in labor for 24 hours. want to get this baby out. And the nurses at the hospital where I was had not been allowing me to, to eat or drink. And I was getting really famished and I just, you know, almost wanted to give up because I just wasn't sure I could do it. And I said to my doctor, would it be all right if I drank some of my tea? And he said, yeah, that'd be fine. So my husband opened it up and poured me a cup and I'm so glad that I had it ready to go. It was in my birth bag. I hadn't turned to it yet because they just wouldn't let me, but there's Dr. God giving me permission. And I glugged that down and I'll tell you what. That labor just kicked in like nobody's business. Before you knew it, I was fully dilated to a 10, and I'm pushing that baby out. And so it's, again, just knowing these little things that can make the difference between having a true natural birth and something that has to be pushed along with drugs or a failure to progress. You're going to have to take this baby out by C-section. So, you know, that that's just something to know. Something to know, hydration, fuel, a little bit of food. You don't need to eat a big gourmet meal in the middle of labor. You're probably not going to even want that. But you do need the fuel. You need to fuel your muscles. The uterus is the biggest muscle in the mom's body. And it works more efficiently and with less pain when it is being fueled. So please take that to heart. It's like the number one thing you can do for pain management. You have to fuel that uterus so that it can do the work of bringing forth the baby. And there are some moms, these moms who will give birth in an hour. It's not that big of an athletic marathon for them. They just, bam, baby's here. And that's great. If you're one of those people, awesome. So happy for you. You're not going to have the hour after hour of perspiration and hard work that some of us have. But if you're like me, I've had a 24-hour labor, a three-day labor. I've had a six-hour labor, and I've had uh, a C-section after 20 hours of labor. And, you know, I just feel like I've had everything. And and the constant with me was the fuel. It, I've had four natural births, all four of them. I had to be drinking and eating a little bit of food. And so that's the number one thing to think about. Okay, other things you can do for pain management. Number one thing I've done while actually feeling contractions, I sing. I sing music. I, I just feel like that's a powerful way for me to tap into something sacred. That when I'm singing, instead of screaming, there's some women who are screamers and the contractions start, they start to howl. I like it to be more directed, more controlled. And the singing brings all that energy that's sort of overwhelming the uterus and it lifts it up and sends it right out my mouth. And during my, my fourth birth, when I was, this is my first home birth, I sang through all three hours of his labor. My sister had sent me the Kenny Loggins return to Pooh Corner CD early in my pregnancy. And I'd listened to it all the way through my pregnancy. 
and memorized all those songs. And so as I would sing along with that CD during my labor, I could feel all of this energy just being almost captured and sent out my mouth as I danced and swayed and got in the bath. The music was the key. And this baby was 11 pounds, 12 ounces. I'm not kidding. 11 pounds, 12 ounces. He was 23 inches long. His feet were so big. The doctor's like, oh my word, he's just going to be huge because of the size of his feet. This, this big boy with a 15 inch head was being born and my body opened up beautifully, perfectly. And I give the credit to the music. And I was in this zone, just this space of, you know, everything opening, everything hydrated. I kept drinking all through the, all through the labor, just open it up. And there is the crowning and then I'm pushing and there is his head. And it was at that moment that his head was outside of my body. I had done the labor all by myself up to that point. When I called my husband up and said, hey, come on up here. And he walked in the room. He's like, that's the head. He's basically born. I was like, yep, here he is. And it was the music, the music that birthed my baby. Um, that was the birth that we did have to transfer to the hospital. Right after he was born, I started to hemorrhage and we could not resuscitate him. I've talked to some midwives since and they said, oh, those bigger babies, sometimes they're just a little bit slow to resuscitate, but, but we freaked and called 911 and had to transfer to the hospital for help because we just were overwhelmed with, um, with that birth. And so we, we asked for some help and we received excellent help, excellent postpartum help. I was so concerned up until that point in my education about labor and birth that I really hadn't spent too much time thinking about what happens after the baby comes out. And so that was, that was on me. I really didn't do my research on postpartum complications. uh, What happens if the baby's not breathing? Um, We really had not done due diligence on that. And so, as I said, in another podcast, we, we spent the next six years learning. My husband took an infant CPR and resuscitation class. I did a lot of research on postpartum hemorrhage. I also got intensely into labor, uh, I mean, liver and gallbladder cleanses. I found out that people who hemorrhage have a tendency to um, have liver problems. And so if the liver is full of stones and the gallbladder is overwhelmed with these gallstones, it's harder for the mom to clot if she has a bleeding issue. And so I spent six years intensively cleansing my liver and gallbladder doing these, these flushes, the Holda Clark. If you Google that Holda Clark liver cleanse, you'll see what I did. It's very simple, but incredibly effective to uh, do these cleanses. So I did like 35, 36 of these cleanses in between those two boys. And when I had my last baby, I, I didn't hemorrhage. So I give the credit to the cleansing and really opening up my digestive tract um, to being able to do that birth without a hemorrhage. 
So the singing, it was both me singing and my husband singing. And, um, and all of our labors, he sang to me, especially my fifth, fifth labor, which was six hours. He sang to me the last two hours of that labor. And it was just perfect. Um, other things you can do for pain management are um, massage. It's incredibly powerful to have someone working on your back while you're in labor, especially during a contraction. If the person who's with you, it's your husband or a friend or whatever, will just do some counter pressure on your back, your lower back while you're having a contraction. Sometimes that is the key to um, getting through a difficult labor. Um, I had moments during all five of my, my pregnancies and labors when um, someone giving me a massage is what won the day. And it just makes sense. When, when you're getting massaged, all of that uh, acid that's building up in the muscles and the, the lactic acid and the um, blood that's pools when you have a contracting muscle, just massaging that a little bit helps it to move brings in new blood, cleans it out, gets it ready for the next contraction. Of course, you're going to want to use massage. And then conversely, there are moms who are like, don't touch me. I don't want anybody to touch me. And if that's, if that's the case in your situation, honor that. She knows what she wants. The other huge thing that you can use, and it's why I have a, a birth tub in the list of supplies to get, is to get into the water. And most people don't have the type of bathtub that will cover the mom's belly and give her the, the water relief she needs. And so that's why the birth tubs exist. I've never invested in a birth tub. They're kind of pricey. Uh, during my first home birth, I just went down to Toys R Us and got a big kiddie pool, the kind that's more high than it is wide, just a round kiddie pool. And we filled that up and put it in our bedroom. In the last couple of, of months of his pregnancy, um, I would get in that thing. Eventually we put it out on our deck and just relax because I was so big and uh, it really took the pressure off my body to get in the water. And our, our tub was just one of those just little tiny ones. And so it wasn't any help at all, but that, that water, Oh my goodness. I'd get in that thing and just stay for hours because it really, you know, just allowed me to kind of float. It's my happy time. Uh, we didn't end up using it for the birth because my, that birth, the first one was so fast didn't even have time to fill up the tub. It, he was just born. And with my other home birth, we had the birth pool in my bedroom. And it was filled up for the first little while of my early labor. We had a couple of false starts that lasted, you know, five, six hours each. And I got in the water. But then my water broke three days before he was born. And I just didn't feel good about getting in water with uh, the water bag broke because it can lead to infection. And so... We tucked the birth pool away because the water was broken. I was not going to use it anyway. But water is just a huge element, a huge thing you can do to help with water, uh, to help with the pain. Uh, even getting in a shower can really help when the mom's in labor. And if the mom's in a place where she just doesn't weigh up and walking around, she's maybe laying down or on her side or hands and knees, uh, you can also get some hot compresses. And one of the one of the tips that midwives will use is to get a um, slow cooker, put it on low or warm, put some water in there with some cloth towels. I, I use old baby diaper cloth diapers, um, washcloths, 
fill those up and just have them on a, a low setting in your bedroom. And then you've just got them right there ready to go. You can rig it out and just put that on mom's back, put it on her perineum. Of course, you want to make sure it's not too hot, but those warm compresses can do amazing things for pain relief when, when mom's getting close to birth. Also helps her perineum to stretch a little bit as she's getting ready to push out the baby. Um, I also had some olive oil and essential oils that I would put on those compresses. And I just did it myself. I did it during my third birth, my fourth, and my fifth. I did the hot compresses myself, just heating up a washcloth in the sink, tapping in some olive oil, a few drops of lavender or whatever I had, and then just putting that on my bottom. And it was just perfect pain relief. It helps you stretch and get everything ready. So hot compresses, singing, water. If you feel like you need it, yes, you can use some, some Tylenol, some Motrin. It's certainly not going to hurt you or the baby to take those drugs. And again, the mom's the one who has to decide what level of pain relief she needs. Um, Tylenol does make your liver toxic. It can be problematic for your baby. But if you were planning to go to the hospital and have an epidural, which is basically shooting a bunch of cocaine into your spine, having, having a little bit of Motrin is not going to be too far off from that. So if you feel like you need to use the analgesics and you're in a situation where you want to get a little drunk, you know, you're the one who's in charge. There have been free birthers who use whiskey to help them with the pain. I don't recommend it. But again, that or shooting cocaine in your spine, which is, you know, certainly socially acceptable in our culture. And there's actually an epidural cult out there of women who are like, did you get the epidural? Yeah, that was better than the sex that got me pregnant. There is that old notion of, you know, the old joke of epidurals. And it's like everybody's got their, their punchline for the, the joke. But, you know, you can do it without these drugs if you, if you learn some of the principles I've talked about and put it to the test. Now, if, if you do all that and you're still feeling this pain, well, you know, sometimes we have some pain. And as I said at the beginning of the show when I quoted that midwife, if you can kind of work on your thinking and say, okay, I'm feeling pain right now. But it's just for a minute. It's just for 90 seconds. And then it's going to stop. And I'm going to get a three to four minute break. If you can think of it that way, this pain is pain with a purpose. What happens is your endorphins go up every time you feel that, that pain. Because your body's responding to this back and forth of, okay, here's a contraction. And, and now we're relaxing. Here's a bigger contraction. Now relaxing. As you do that dance of labor, the endorphins in you and in your baby go up to the point where when when the baby comes out, you're both completely high and you're higher than any runner's high, any euphoric moment you've had. You are high and nature designed it that way. When you're both in this ecstatic high place, that's the time to bond. That's the time to have the baby 
breastfeed for the first time and looking up at mom and just, this is what that ecstatic high, that's the design. And you want that. You want to bond in that glorious hormonal moment. And the moms who don't get that, and I'm one of those moms because they took the baby away or you had a C-section or the fireman took the baby to the hospital. It's a little bit more challenging to bond with your baby. You can do it, but it's a little bit more challenging. And so if you don't have to go through all that, you can just have the baby. It's a good time for the birth team to just tiptoe out of the room and let mom bond with her baby or mom and dad bond with their baby. Um, It's a magical hour and it's one that you should not, you should not mess with. You know, it's sacred. All right. I'm going to talk about the most controversial pain relief. So for those of you who are skittish about such things, go ahead and turn off, turn off the show. You probably don't want to hear this, but it's important for you to hear it. If you, if you want to know the truth about your body, there is a place in a woman's vagina called the G-spot. A lot of people don't know about this, but those who are into various forms of sexuality do. And they think the G-spot is something that, you know, is just this extra kinky place where they can experience these amazing orgasms. And I'm here to tell you the G-spot is in the mom's body where it is in the mom's body because as the baby's coming through the birth canal, it's the baby who can stimulate the G-spot to give the mother the biggest orgasm of her life. So that's a fact. It's one that certain medical people deny, but it is a fact that there are some women as the baby is coming out, who will experience a birth orgasm. There have been books written on this. There have been documentaries made about this. But I'm still amazed at how many people have never heard this before. So what does that tell us about how birth should go ideally for the mom to have this birth orgasm? which I can promise you takes away all pain. Ideally, during labor, you would want the mom with her lover alone in their bedroom doing the very same things that put the baby into the mother's body in the first place. Ideally, the mother and her lover would give birth alone. Ideally, the baby would be born in a gush of orgasmic joy. Ideally, if they're at the place where they can do this thing, there will be no pain while that baby is coming out. There will be very little blood loss because as the mother orgasms, all of that blood that's down in the perineum and the uterus shoots out to the rest of her body, her brain, her limbs. The blood goes just like with a regular orgasm. And she is completely renewed. As the baby attaches to the mother's breast, 
More hormones flood. The very hormones she needs to expel the placenta. So pretty soon you got a placenta plopping down. Uterus clamps down. The baby is the cure if the mom's bleeding. The baby breastfeeding helps to contract the uterus. It can stop a hemorrhage. So the worst thing you can do to a mother who's hemorrhaging is take her baby away. She doesn't have anything to clamp down her uterus anymore. And it can cause a worse hemorrhage. So these are the things I've learned. These are the things everybody should know about their bodies. Now, there's some people who say, well, when my labor started, I felt pain. There was nothing orgasmic about that. Well, when you have sex, when you come together as a couple, is it all orgasmic joy right the first time that you connect? Isn't there a little bit of work involved to get to that place of orgasmic joy? And for the happiest couples who have the happiest and most satisfying sex, isn't there some real give and take that has to take place between that husband and wife, those lovers? There has to be some sort of a, a trust and communication and love in order for it to be completely satisfying for both the, the man and the woman. So when I'm talking about orgasmic childbirth, yeah, there's still going to be some work involved. There's still going to be some effort that has to be put out. And the ideal conditions, and I promise you, the less people in the room, the quicker your labor will go. The more people you invite into your bedroom, into your sacred private space, the longer it will take and the more difficult your birth will be. So instead of going out and looking outside your home for someone to come in and save you from this thing, please change your thinking. Embrace the idea that you have everything you need right there with you and your lover to get your child born. I'm just here speaking the truth, my friends. I know it's controversial. I know people don't want to hear that their mother, you know, who suffered so much while they were giving birth to them, could have had something like this. And maybe it would have made her marriage stronger. Maybe it would have helped her to feel more bonded to her children. Sometimes the, the very people who don't want to hear this message are those who've been born in such a way that their moms just really suffered. And they feel a lot of guilt about it. And my feeling is we need to educate our young people about this so that they don't have to just keep repeating these patterns of mom torture during birth. And she's just completely beat up and cut to pieces and the baby's in the NICU and dad's standing there going, what, what, what just happened to my family? You know, I'm so weary of the young families I see going through these experiences. They just deserve so much better. We all deserve so much better. I believe our birthright and heritage that we can give to these next generations will be life-changing for the whole world once our young people confidently give birth to their own children at home. It will change everything. So I think I've talked enough about pain management. The ultimate pain management, obviously, is sexual activity. It aligns the hormones correctly in the body for the mom to give birth. It just does. 
And if you and your lover can get relaxed enough to get to that place, that is where you'll experience some true pain relief and just ecstatic joy. Thank you for stopping by. I have a couple of things in the show notes, which will be on my blog, jennyhatch.com, that will link to resources for you as a couple, as parents, as future uh, home birthers. And this information is shared under the umbrella of being a prepper. Everyone should know these skills, should know these facts about their bodies. So that should you find yourself in an emergency childbirth situation, giving birth outside of a hospital or with professionals, that you are empowered to have the tools at your disposal that you need to have a safe and satisfying birth. Thank you for stopping by. I hope you are all having a great day.